0: Good morning, if you have your Bibles with you, which I hope you do, open to the book of Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14 will be our text this morning. And before we dive into it, a way of introduction, this may not surprise most of you, but many Christians in America have adopted spiritual views that come from Eastern religions and secular humanism. We see that on the public square. We see that in our schools, our higher institutes of learning. It's because of biblical illiteracy. Most are not alarmed at this or even know about it. That's the lapel mic, I'm sorry. Biblical literacy. And just as a side note, chase a rabbit just for a second. When you're preaching or teaching the Bible, you can't take it for granted that people know the narrative that's happening. Because the Bible is one gigantic story. How God created the world and how God redeemed the world through His Son. It's one gigantic story. And especially when you're preaching through the Old Testament or the New Testament, you can't take it for granted anymore that people understand the story, much less where the book of Matthew is versus the book of Judges or Ruth. There's an article I came across entitled, What Do Americans Really Think About the Bible? And there it is. That's a graphic off that article. And it's dated April the 10th, 2013. So it's a little old. It's about seven years old. But this research was conducted by Barner Research Group and the American Bible Society. And if you look there, to your left, it's 2011 over to 2013. Just a few things I'd like to point out. First off, in 2011, 80%, 86% of Americans versus 80% in 2013, down 6%, say that the Bible is sacred literature. That necessarily mean that it's the inherent Word of God, but they're saying it's not really up to the Level as we claim it as Christians. But look at number two. This is down a little bit, but not too much. Back in 2011, 50%. In 2013, 47% believe that the Bible, the Quran, and the Book of Mormon are all different expressions of the same truth. Let me just let that sink in for a moment. And I'm not going to go into a great big apologetic speech right now defending christianity but I will say this there is conflicting things in these three of those books there's no way you can come out and say yes these are the, this is expressing the same truth you can't have it both ways but you can kind of see why we're in the condition that we're in as a country and here's where I'm going with this beliefs shape values values drive actions. Therefore beliefs are revealed by ethics. Now ethics basically means behavior but I'm talking more than just behavior. I'm talking about how do you make decisions? How do you make your priorities? What comes first in your life? And so what you believe about certain things people can look at your behavior, your ethics, how you prioritize your life and, and kind of deduct what's really important to you. In fact, I heard this done, I, I didn't see it, but I heard on the radio that the preacher was talking about tithing. And he said, I want you to take out your checkbook or your wallet and hand it to the person to your left or to your right, cannot be related to you or front or back. So you could hear some people rustling around, past the stuff. And he said, now I want you to give the way God commands. And some people kind of laughed. He said, it's easy to give because it's not your money. The reality is, it's not my money anyway. It belongs to God. God entrusts me with it. But that's if you want to see what's important to people, where they spend their money, where they spend their time, is a pretty good indication of what's important to them. Now, people often reject the truth of Christianity because of some of our behavior, our ethics. Because it's said this way, who you are speak so loudly that I cannot hear what you say. In other words, our actions speak louder than our words. Now, Paul knew this. And he prayed that the Christians at Colossae would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why is that? So that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So let's read the text together. Starting in verse 9 of chapter 1. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please Him in all respects. Or another way, to please Him in every way. To be fully pleasing to Him. How do you do that? Bearing fruit in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power. According to His glorious might. For the attaining of all steadfastness or endurance. And patience. A better word instead of patience may be long-suffering joylessly or with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. There's that word again, Haggaios, holy ones. In light, for He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Wow. It kind of hard, I almost start jumping up down when I read that last part. Because it reminds me of what God has done in Christ, not only for me, but for everybody who believes in Christ. But let's go back up to the beginning. For this reason also, since the day we've heard, he tells the Colossians, the Christians at Colossae, we have not ceased to pray and to ask. Now, for this reason, points back to verses three through eight about their faith in Christ, their salvation. And Paul is expressing great joy for that. And that joy has continued on, like he says, since he heard it. And he says that back in verse 4 and in verse 9 here. Their faith had not only resulted in joy, but also an occasion for prayer. He knew the dangers of heresy. He knew what damage that would do to the church. And he's concerned about the future of the church. Look what he says. Pray, praying and asking. Now, basically, those two words are synonymous with each other. But when they're used together, it brings on a little slightly different aspect. In other words, praying is about what you think it is. is—is your entirety prayer life, how you pray, when you pray. But he says, not only am I praying, but specifically I'm asking. And what is telling us, he's specifically petitioning God for something on their behalf. He is asking God to intervene, and the people's lives for who he's praying for. And I'll tell you right now, as your pastor, I pray for you. Sometimes by name, sometimes God, help me as I lead your people at Forestburg Baptist Church. Help them, God, to see your truth and your life. See, I'm asking God. I'm not just praying generically, but now I'm specifically asking. That's why it's nice to have prayer concerns made known to me, because then I can ask specifically, God, would you please move in this person's life? Would you please intervene? That's what he's doing here. So his prayer is taking a specific form. He's not just generically playing, Oh God, be with the Christians at Colossae. No, he's being more specific about it. What is it that he wants God to do in their lives? And look what he says. He has not ceased to pray for them. That means he's regularly and consistently praying for the believers in Colossae. Why is He doing that? He tells us that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. And that word knowledge has many applications back in the first century. Religious and non-religious. It's a compound word. It comes from the word gnosis and the preposition epi. And a general term is used generally in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 when Peter urges the husbands to live With their wives according to their knowledge. In other words, their understanding is what most translations render that. That means they have a personal knowledge of your wife to meet their specific needs. A husband should have that general knowledge. A husband should have that general knowledge. Are the wives listening? Your husband should have a general knowledge, specific knowledge of you, to how to take care of you, what you like and don't like how to minister to you and how to show that he cares for you. That's the point that Peter's making. Now that word knowledge was also used by the Gnostic philosophers. See, the Gnostic philosophers believed that the best way to have enlightenment is through knowledge. Because it bridged the gap between the visible, material, and evil world and the invisible, spiritual, good world of reality. And the battle for good and evil happened on the spiritual realm, on the spiritual world. And for the Gnostics, the visible world was influenced or even controlled by spiritual beings, which they call aeons. So what's going on is that you have the spiritual world and you have the material world. But the material we live in is evil. We We can't do anything for ourselves. So they believe in having a special knowledge. Because the only chance we have for salvation, the Gnostics taught, was to get... This special knowledge, this flash of insight, if you will, that would lift us up above the world matters. Now, although Gnosticism took different forms, that's basically what they believe. And we see that happening in our society today. If we could just enlighten ourselves, we could just find this special knowledge, then we can lift ourselves up and escape and have salvation. Now, Paul clarifies where true Christian knowledge comes from or how it's gained. Such knowledge must come from God. Since he's the only one who can clearly reveal his mind. And God takes the initiative to reveal himself and his will. And we as human beings have to trust him to do so. If you are praying, God, what is your will in this situation? You have to trust God that he's going to reveal his will to you in his time. It is God that discloses knowledge of himself. Now bear with me. We cannot simply learn to know God. Most truths can be learned. Divine truth must be revealed. For example, the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God. He revealed Himself to us through His written Word and through the living Word, His Son, Jesus Christ. There's no special knowledge that we need or can gain. Everything that we need on this side of heaven for salvation and living is found within His Word. And there's a lot of people out there telling you, no, it's Jesus plus this or the Bible. No, it's not. It's only through Christ, through faith in Christ, what we are saved. By grace alone, through Christ alone, are we saved. We have to get back to the Bible. And that goes back to my point with the survey. People may say, yeah, I believe the Bible to be important, but no one seems to want to pick it up and read it and digest it and study it. See, when you study the Bible, it's not just reading it aloud, but it's going down deep. The way I do it, for my personal time and for sermon prep, I'll read the passages, just let it marinate on my mind and in my heart. God, what is it you're saying here? What is it you want me to say to your people? But the first question I must ask, God, what is it that you're teaching me? What is it how you want to apply it to my life? So he says he wants them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, In all spiritual wisdom, he says, and understanding. Now, wisdom is the acquisition of knowledge and the application of that knowledge. So you can have all the knowledge in the world, but you don't have wisdom until you apply that knowledge to a specific concern. It's the ability to act and think spiritually. Spiritual wisdom goes beyond natural wisdom, and we must place ourselves in that spiritual environment with the hope and expectation that God will reveal His will regarding specific matters. It's His will that you'll be gain all this knowledge and spiritual wisdom and understanding. The point is not the difficulty in knowing God. It's the attitude by the seeker that, of such knowledge. Why are we going there? And verse 15, he answers this question. Look what it says. In Christ, God always makes Himself known. Look at verse 15 of chapter 1. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So when you look at Jesus, you look at the face of God. You want know how God acts and feels in certain situations? Go back and read the Gospels. See what Jesus teaches, how Jesus reacts, His behavior, and you're seeing God revealed through Christ. His love, His mercy, His compassion, and by the way, even His anger. Do you remember when he came into Jerusalem? The triumphal entry we called the last week, the passion we call to his last week. He goes in Jerusalem, he's hailed. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he had the palm trees, the palm branches, he's going in Jerusalem. One of the first places he goes is to the temple and tells them, You have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. They're transferring money over to the temple and they're cheating people. Jesus got mad. He was angry. But how he handled his anger and what he did in that moment is to show us an example. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to be angry. But how do you work through that and how do you express that makes all the difference in the world. So why is he praying that they be filled with his knowledge? Why is he praying that they be filled with his knowledge and all spiritual wisdom and understanding? And here comes the major point of the whole text. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Paul is letting them know, I'm praying with a goal in mind. Wisdom applied to living. Not just the fact of gathering all the knowledge, but putting it to publication in your lives. He's after transformation of character and witness. He wants God to do such a work in their lives. They'll be transformed by God's truth. Here's another point i like to make. You can have all the knowledge of God, all the, you can have all the Scripture memorized that you want. And you can just spout it off. But really, do you know it in here? Is it in your heart? What does Jesus say? Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these wonderful things in your name? He doesn't deny that they did all those things, casting out demons and so on and so forth. But he denies that they ever knew him. I can be the best orator, the best preacher, and I can know all this knowledge, but it's one thing having a knowledge. It's one thing applying that knowledge to my life and living it out. And this idea of walk. That walk is a word that they would understand as living. Now in the Old Testament, the proper response to God is that walk. How do I live out my life? And rabbis devoted much time and thought to how that would go about what God required. And one of the first commands that we see given to Abraham, Jesus, I mean, excuse me, God says, "Walk before me and be blameless." Genesis chapter 17 verse 1. From that time on, the term walk was synonymous with obedience to the grace of God. So it's not just intellectual knowledge that Paul's after for them. He wants them to have ethical changing going on a transformation of their character changing how they think you ever heard the song growing up Now bear with me; I'm not a very good singer the wise man built his house oh excuse me starts with the foolish man the foolish man built his house upon the sand the foolish man built his house upon the sand the foolish man built his house upon the sand and the rains came tumbling down well, I'm not going to sing the whole thing but basically it talks about the rains came in, the floods came, rains came down, the floods went up, and his house went splash. Well, in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, and Luke six, 6 is where you can find that story. Specifically in verse 46, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And he gives illustrations about the wise man and the foolish man. It bears application here. Not just have these facts of God, not just to know what he says, but to apply it and live it out. Because Jesus says in that story, that parable that He said, if you hear, me, hear my words but don't put them to practice, you're like that foolish man that builds his house upon the sand. And when the storms of life come, your house is going to fall. But if you hear my words and you apply them and live them out, then you're going to be like that man who builds his house upon the rock and the rains will come down, the storms of life will come, and it will stand firm. Dearly beloved, we're going through a storm right now. It's called COVID. Have you noticed it? It's had social problems. It's brought us economic problems. It's touched every facet of our lives. And if we don't build our house upon the firm rock of Jesus Christ, our lives is going to go splat. And the world is watching us. How are we going to respond to all these challenges that we see? Are we going to stand firm on the truth revealed in Christ? are we going to run to something else? Now is the time for the church to rise up and say, look, there is one answer for all this. And His name is Christ. He tells them, how do you walk in a manner worthy? By bearing fruit, it says, in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Those are two participles that are in the present tense, which means it's stressing. Stressing the notion of progress. You keep learning. You keep bearing fruit. You keep increasing. You never stop. Now, bearing fruit could talk about evangelism. Witnessing to other people. Making disciples of all nations. But i also tell you talking about the fruit of the Spirit found in the book of Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is what? I wish the Wednesday Blast kids were here. They could tell you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. We should be bearing that fruit. If we consider ourselves Christians, followers of Christ, we should be producing that fruit in our lives. And it doesn't stop. It keeps on producing. And he says, increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in understanding both here in my brain, but also as I serve Him. Obedience to the work of God brings further knowledge of God. This demonstrates that God's will is related to growth in Christian experience. Christian service is a natural response to the will of God. Gaining spiritual understanding is a natural response as well. There's a close relationship to the two. So as I respond to God's will, do His work, then I understand who God is. I increase in my knowledge. That's true, and Tammy, we're, yeah, we're way in the back. My wife and I will tell you this is true. We went to John Three Sixteen 16, inner city mission. Never been before, never been in that environment before. We were going to the projects, knocking on doors. Oh, yes, I was out of my comfort zone. The first day was so hard. I'm not going into it. The first day was so hard, some of us wanted to go home. We don't know if we can do this or not. It was hard. It was tough. But we stuck with it and the things we learned about God and how he works and his will you cannot put i can't express to you how much we learned through all that and now we come to VBS we come to blast and the kids are yelling and screaming we look at each other oh, this is nothing remember remember the mission way back when and God's prepared us so when you when you do christian service when you serve God you learn about your personal faith You learn more about God and you learn more about His will. God's about pulling you out of your comfort zone not to be mean, but He wants to reveal more of Himself to you. Because when you go out there beyond your comfort zone, you're going to rely on Him. God, we need you. And that's when God does His best work. When we strip ourselves of everything else and say, God, this is all on you, I'm trusting you for everything, that's when He does His best work in us. Look what He says next. Strengthen with all power. According to his glorious might. this is the third part of Simple explains how to walk in a worthy manner. strengthen, enable, to give one's capacity, make strong, and empower. the potential to exert force in performing the same function. It stresses the nature and application of the power available. See, they knew they, they needed power. They a strength to do what they are called to do. To endure the circumstances of life. We need it as well. And God is telling us, if you have knowledge of my will and you're working in service to me, I'm going to give you the strength that you need. And specifically for what? For attaining steadfastness and patience. Let me tell you, if you're going to serve God and live differently in this world, you're going to need some endurance. You're going to need some patience. I can't tell how many times I've said something about patience or preached about patience. As soon as I walk out the door, here's a perfect opportunity, Tim, for you to exercise patience. And I bet it will happen sometime today because I just said that. Endurance is the capacity to bear up under difficult circumstances. Patience can be defined as a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation. And both of these are to take place without complaining or irritation. Because neither circumstances or people are to upset the person who walks in the will of God. Did you just hear that? People or circumstances should not upset us if we're walking in the will of God, doing what He wants us to do, doing what He's called us to do, and He's equipping us to do what He's called us to do. All that stuff should not even matter to us anymore. Let me tell you something. When you get serious about the will of God, and you get serious about serving Him, people get mad at you. And sometimes, most of the time, it's not people outside these walls, it'll be people who consider themselves to be Christians. Do you know why? Because when they see you serving, perhaps God is convicting them, hey, you need to be doing this too. But that shouldn't matter to us. It shouldn't matter how we sound when we sing. The Bible says make a joyful noise. You're not singing for me or for Charlie, and Charlie's not singing or playing his guitar for you. He's doing it for God. He's playing to an audience of one. He's pouring out his heart to God as we should be. As we should be. And here's the point. Divine power is available to those who know Christ. God will give you what you need. But He's wondering if you're going to step out and trust Him to reveal His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You're going to trust Him from all that that you're going to step out and say, God, I have not a clue what I'm doing, but I trust You. That You're going to show me where to go and how to do it. I never... I barely graduated high school. Barely. Never did I think in a million years I end up at Southwestern Seminary, there I sat in convocation the beginning of the academic year. And all the faculty and staff came in with all their academic regalia on, which I had no clue what all that meant. And I sat there in that pew in Trudeau Auditorium. That's before the new chapel was built. And I said, God, I'm glad you know what you're doing because I don't have a clue what I'm doing here. Very intimidating environment to be in. And I tell you that, not to look at me, what I did. I'm telling you that to the glory of God, how He got me through that experience. Got me through that education. and Was with me every step of the way. Was it easy? No. I wanted to quit at times. This is too much. I can't do this. I'm too stupid. I'm too dumb. And right now, I know some of you hearing that in your head right now. You can't do that. You're not equipped. You're not smart enough. That's the enemy talking to you. Listen to what God's telling you. You No, you're right, you can't do it on your own, but I will equip you if you just trust me and step out and say, yes, I am. I will do it, God, whatever it is that you called me to do. He also says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share the inheritance. Giving thanks is that fourth participle. So we should be walking, increasing, bearing fruit. We should be... Strengthened with all power to the glory of His might. And then giving thanks to God. And notice it's not just giving thanks. What's the adjective that comes right before thanks? Joy. Makes all the difference in the world. A heartfelt, genuine thankfulness grows out from the salvation experience. We should never forget what God has done for us. And we should allow that life-changing experience of salvation... To bring us joy on a daily basis, if everything else is going wrong and you have one of those days where you feel you can't do nothing right, step back, take a breath, close your eyes, whatever you got to do and say, "Thank you, God, for saving me." Perhaps that's what the church in America needs to do, like it says in Psalm 51 verse 12. "Restore me to the joy of your salvation and sustain me with the willing spirit." Think about that time when you accepted Christ when you stepped out in salvation, you gave your life to Christ and the wages you feel lift off your shoulders that joy that you felt. Perhaps some of us have forgotten that. The peace that comes from it. Am I concerned about our country? Yes. But nothing and no one can take my salvation from me. And that brings me the peace of God that goes beyond all human understanding. And notice that the thanksgiving, as He said, is to the Father rather than Jesus the Son. Why is that? Because the Father initiated a plan of salvation. The Son accomplished it. And God the Father is to receive thanksgiving, as He says in the following verses, because He qualified believers for an inheritance, He rescued believers from darkness, and He brought believers into the Son's kingdom. Shared an inheritance. Brings up imagery of the Old Testament. How they went into the promised land and they were to share the inheritance. Each tribe was given their portion of land. He's comparing God's work then until now. How God gives us a spiritual inheritance. The redemption that is in Christ. God takes the initiative in bringing believers into His righteous presence. Think about that. God wanted you to bring bring you into his presence. He took care of it. Salvation and ministry require specific characters, specific character qualities that we can't possess for ourselves. God qualifies us for supernatural working. He says in 1 Peter 1:6, and he's quoting Leviticus 11.44, Leviticus 9:2, and Levit- Leviticus 27: You shall be holy for I am holy. Hmm. No one can claim to be holy apart from God. It's God who makes us holy through the shed blood of Christ. Sons of lights. The holy ones. The saints. It's telling us what God did He did for His people. And here's the thing. God is making sure that He will qualify us to get the inheritance that He has for us. He wants us to come to heaven. He desires us to have that inheritance. So much so, He enables us. He qualifies us to get the inheritance that He's prepared. And you see that back in verse 5. That hope that we have reserved in heaven. He wants us to inherit. For He has rescued us from the domain, domain of darkness. That parallels acts chapter twenty six verses fifteen through eighteen. That's Paul's conversion experience. Both of those talk about the domain, and in Paul's case, it was the domain of Satan. Um, excuse me in Acts, it's the domain of Satan, but in Paul's account, he was in darkness, in this account he's in darkness. But that word authority simply means the right or holdover of authority, sphere of authority, but doesn't point to the legitimate right to rule. Does, does point to the legitimate, legitimate right to rule, but doesn't necessarily the power that's needed to do that. But God, here's the point: God invaded Satan's territory and delivered his people from it. He's transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption. Redemption and forgiveness. Redemption belongs in the slave market. It refers to a price that one pays to get someone out of bondage. So, we can sit and ask ourselves, well, how can that be? Forgiveness implies a free act of grace, but redemption implies a payment. You see, God is the only one qualified to satisfy His nature. If justice was to be served, He had to do it. And God was not under under any obligation to do so. So His sacrifice was an act of mercy. And as Brother Roger pointed out three weeks ago, at the cross of Christ, you see justice and mercy displayed for one and for all. You see God's justice satisfied you also see His mercy demonstrated. The cross represents in a relationship the two aspects of His nature. His forgiveness and His justice go hand in hand. To sum it up, to walk in a manner worthy is bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, to be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously giving thanks to the Father. Malcolm Forbes said this one time. He's the founder, owner, publisher of Forbes magazine. He was a business leader. He said, quote, diamonds are nothing more than chunks of coal that stick to their jobs, end of quote. Steadfastness and patience. That's what turns you and I into diamonds of God. When the problems of life and the pressures of people are bearing down on us, God can give us the strength to endure, strength with all power, as the text says. Listen to how the everyday Bible, New Century Version, which is a revision of the International Children's Bible, listen how they, they render this. Quote, God will strengthen you with His own great power so that you will not give up when troubles come, but you will be patient. And you will joyfully give thanks to the Father who has made you able to have a share in all that He has prepared for His people in the kingdom of light. End of quote. Knowledge without strength is useless. Strength without knowledge is aimless. But knowledge with strength brings success so that you will work worthy in a matter, worthy manner of the Lord. Where are you at this morning? Where is your walk? How you are basing your priorities? God makes great promises here. He'll give you what you need. But you have to trust Him step out there and get it. Many of you are sitting right now and you listen to everything that's been said and you say, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this or not. Quit listening to the voice of the enemy. Listen to the voice of truth. You think God saved you just to have you sit here and do nothing? He wants to use you to reach other people. Because in the end, He gets all the glory. Because it's not me, who, that it's God working through me. God working through you. I'm going to end with this. You ever you ever read about great heroes of the faith? Have you ever heard of Lottie Moon? ever heard of Lottie Moon? How about Annie Armstrong. How about Charles Spurgeon, Charles uh, Charles Wesley? And the list goes on and on and on and on. You ever wondered, wow, what would that be like to, to walk in their shoes? And here's my point to you. Please hear me. The only thing stopping you is you. The only thing stopping you is you. Step out. Trust God. He's going to reveal his will to you, strengthen them with his power, according to his might, his glorious might, so that you grow on spiritual wisdom and understanding. We are our worst enemy. We let the enemy beat us up so much that we start believing the lies instead of listening to the truth. Look at the first apostles for crying out loud a bunch of uneducated fishermen that heard the voice of Jesus, come follow me. They were stopping and think about what that meant. They left everything, everything they knew, their livelihoods, family, everything behind. And they followed him. In fact, later on, after Jesus is crucified, he's risen again, and they're testifying, sharing the good news. A lot of people say, oh, these bunch of uneducated people, listen how they're talking. God uses the simple stuff that doesn't make sense to the world to do His most glorious work. The most glorious work. In closing, if God can change my life and use me as I ramble about, tripping over words sometimes, I know He can use you too. This church, we as His people could literally turn Forestburg upside down for the cause of Christ if we just truly believe it and step out that God's going to do it through us. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for this opportunity to come together and to worship You and to lift high the name of Christ. Father, I pray as the ones here and the ones joining us through the internet, as a Hear Your Word proclaimed, dear God. I pray that You would block out. Just keep the enemy away. He has no business here, Father. They may hear Your voice. Father, tell them how much You love them. Remind them of the great work You've done for them. Remind them of the great love You have for them. And Father, remind them how You desire to use them in ways they can't possibly understand. Father, remind them you're with them every step of the way to empower them with your strength. Father, remind us as a church. We thank you for your many blessings and we thank you for what you've done these past few weeks and months. But Father, we know there's more work to be done. Father, continue to move among us. Continue to speak to our hearts. In Christ's name we pray, amen.